Good evening, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Josh Scanlon Podcast. It's Thursday, May 17th, 2018. A very thunderstormy, cold, not cold, but wet and muggy day here in North Fulton County, Georgia. I got an exciting episode to bring with you today to you today. It's uh, from a lady named Liz Hand, a CFP out of Canton, Ohio, uh, with PleasantWealth.com. And, uh, and this is going to be interesting because Liz is a younger lady. I think she says she just turned 30. Um, and the, the, the interesting thing about it is Liz, I came across because she was doing some pretty good YouTube episodes, actually. And, and I think financial planners are missing the boat with YouTube. I really do, which is why I do a, an episode every day because I love YouTube. I think it, I tell you, as a, as a, just a consumer of education it has been a boon to me. And, uh, and I just think most of the stuff that out there from financial planning related is just is inferior to say the, say the least. There are some good guys out there. Jeff Rose, he does good work. Uh, uh, Dustin Tibbetts, I interviewed him over at Jazz Wealth and, and others. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a lot of good guys out there, too. But it seems YouTube is inhabited by uh, insurance salesmen who are trying to encourage you on tax-free retirement via using whole life insurance or index universal life insurance or or heaven forbid, annuities, index annuities. And, uh, and it occurred to me today, I said, why is a financial advisors uh, being just insufficiently represented on YouTube? And why are these insurance guys all over the place? And it's because of regulations. It just it hit me like a ton of bricks today as I was getting ready to call Liz. Uh, the regulatory environment is if you're in a financial advisor and, and basically you sneeze, you got to get that approved from the feds, be it the FINRA, uh, financial industry, I don't even know what FINRA stands for anymore, to be honest with the regulatory authority um, or the SEC. And it's just silly because at the end of the day, literally, if you have a like on a Facebook, theoretically, they could come after you and say, that's not appropriate. That's a testimonial. And the problem with that is, you know, it's almost like speeding. I mean, everybody does it just every now and again, someone gets caught. And so with FINRA, they're like, oh, because one guy did bad, you know, no one else can do a thing. And everyone's just locked up. And, and the, what the drawback is, is the consumer population needs education. They need it. They're desperate for it. They're dying for it. And when we leave it only to insurance salesmen, um, they're only getting, I'd say, a quarter of the overall picture. And, uh, and that's not good. And, and the problem that is just over-regulatory environment. They think the, regulatory, the regulators think that, uh, if they let the financial advisories, uh, those with licenses, and again, the licenses go through the feds, the insurance licenses go through the state. So each state can be more or less lenient. They can do whatever they want. But if you're a security license, you go through the feds. And so because that, the, 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 and given all the Madoff stuff and everything, they feel like, hey, it's going to be in the interest of the consumer to basically shut everybody up. And that's absolutely not, that's just horrific because yes, you might be shutting up the advisory business. The rest of the world isn't shut up though. And actually Liz made a pretty good uh, point about that. She goes, um, a lot of times the only people on YouTube are people selling a product, you know, with a conflict of interest or people are just aren't, they, you know, they're just basically uh Saturday or what's that Monday morning quarterbacks. Like I did this, I did that. And, you know, they don't have any, any other than reading a couple books, they're not experts. And, Unfortunately, a lot of these guys hold themselves out to be experts as if the financial planning business is simply a matter of choosing Vanguard mutual funds. And it's not. And, uh, and you know, and that's the industry, again, uh, taking on the chin because they're so worried about, oh, my goodness, someone might find this is, you know, over the top and invest in Bertie Madoff. And of course, my argument is, well, you didn't stop Bertie Madoff either, did you? So it's too bad. So anyway, so I came across Liz 
and I uh, and, and I was watching videos because I liked it. You know, she's 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 she got pizzazz. She has a lot of good stuff in there too. For uh, I was actually surprised she only said she's thirty. Not that she looks old or anything, but you know, she had some some pretty good chops from financial planning. Heck of a lot more I had when I was thirty years old. Let me tell you. Oy, oy. Um, but anyway, so I, I was I really appreciated what she's doing. But the drawback was is that her comment section was closed. And I, and I said, man, you can't you can't build a business on YouTube or at least a, a follower base if you're not going to interact with them. And uh, and she emailed back. She says, I've tried to, but it's just a compliance issue. And every time it got to get compliance to work with me to you know to be able to have comments on there. And I just uh, again, I mean, we are was it sp- biting our nose, the spider face or whatever that t- word is, that, that phrase there. I mean, for heaven's sake, people, if you're in the regulatory environment, someone putting comments on a stupid YouTube channel is not indicative of investment recommendations. I just don't get it. If you find a case where it is indicative of investment recommendations, then go after that case. But to just blindly turn off comments on YouTube channels or say on Facebook that you can't have likes or a financial advisor, heaven forbid, likes something. That's not, it just is not indicative at all of a recommendation. I mean, just come on. And and so what you're doing is you're leaving the, the field open to a lot of people that should not have the field to themselves. And, and, and thus you're hurting the consumer. You aren't helping the consumer by having people like Liz not be able to comment um, and engage with her subscriber base. It's just, it's, it's just not good. So Liz is going at it. He's, she's keeping at it. You know, she basically says her compliance is uh, working with her um, when it comes to security based stuff. It's a lot harder to get a approval out to do a channel or a, a video, an episode. And that was, I've got to hear that. So when she talks about social security or state planning, they're a lot more lenient in that regard, uh, which is good because that's really where the financial planning wherewithal is, is in, in areas outside of the investment realm. Uh, because the investment realm, as I've spoken to a million times a Sunday, you, we can't make a difference. I mean, you just, again, if you're going to be better investor, that means someone inherently has got to be worse. Who is that person going to be on either side? You just don't know. It's just a matter of luck and there's just no getting around that. So uh, I don't have any problem with saying we're not going to talk specific investments, but in terms of asset allocation and stuff, I mean, you should be able to say that as well because this is a pretty big part of financial planning. So I was glad to hear that she was able to do some stuff on Social Security, uh, state planning. Uh, she mentioned how she you know, helped the widow uh, make an extra literally $400,000 on Social Security just by following some uh, techniques. And Liz actually went down to the Social Security office, not once, but twice with this lady. And I just I tell you, folks, if you're a financial advisor or a budding financial advisor, um, I hate to say it, but you're just thinking, you know, your fund versus that fund. And yet Liz is going down to Social Security with the lady. Um, that lady doesn't give two craps about your stupid mutual fund or your investment prowess relative that someone actually took her down to Social Security and held her hand I mean, figuratively, maybe even literally, and walked her through all that was going on down there. And uh, that's what financial planning should be. The interesting thing was, I asked Liz, and you'll hear it on the episode. Let me take a drink of my tea here real quick. I got this Walmart brand peppermint tea, and it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm telling you, great value peppermint tea. Woo, it's good. Anyway, so Liz, um, so she went down there and asked Liz, I said, well, how did you get this lady in your office to begin with? And it turns out this lady had interviewed like four or five other financial advisors. And, uh, and I, I, none of them just none of them meshed. And, uh, and I know why, in fact, Liz even alluded to it um, explicitly. She said when this lady came into her office, she immediately instinctively went to pull out her investment statements as if that was the first thing Liz was going to ask about. 
and uh, and it wasn't and it wasn't it was uh, just such a good learning experience for you newer people or even you old veterans who think you know how you know you think you're so good at this stuff um you might even get a, a piece of learning from liz and in fact i bet you do uh, you need to listen and i trust me i'm not the best listener but i'm better than most and and you, the reason why someone like Liz is going to be successful is not because she's a woman. And this is what we, I talked about in the episode too. A lot of these people say we need more women because they're better listeners. And I think by and large, that's probably true. Uh, maybe 60, 40 for sure. But the idea that men inherently are bad listeners or women inherently are good. I don't buy that for two seconds. I think at the end of the day, more women are better listeners. Absolutely. Uh, more empathetic without question. But I don't think that just because somebody shows up at some, you know, a, as uh, a recently widowed lady shows up in office, there's a man there and one's a woman that you're going to have to assume that the man can't listen. The woman can. Um, but Liz does. And the reason she does is because she's curious about people. And I, this is what I stress to all the people I've trained in my 20 plus years of experience. Don't feel like you got to know everything. It's OK not to know. It's OK to ask. It's OK to tell your prospect or client, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'll have to get back to you on that. That right there is exudes confidence. It says at the end of the day, you are confident enough to admit you don't know, to just you know spout off at the hip saying you know all the answers or you know. And especially if you don't, that's that does not exude confidence. It doesn't. It looks like arrogance. In fact, arrogance backed up by a lack of capability is the worst. And I have a sneaky suspicion. That a lot of times when this going back to this widow, that was what was what happening. The people wanted to talk about they knew about, which is investments and nothing else. And because they did not want to talk about the other stuff that was important to this lady, um, you know, she walked away and took her four hundred thousand, whatever she had, life insurance. I don't know what she had. Liz didn't tell us, but took her a pretty significant amount of money, I presume, away simply because the other people wanted to talk about what they were good at because they were. I hate to say it, but I think they're not confident enough to open up a line of questioning to learn. And that's, I'm telling you, it's not confidence that you don't want to learn. It's arrogance. And you need to you just, it's not, it's not even arrogance. It's self-doubt that you're trying to hide by coming across like you're overly confident. Um, and don't, people need listeners. They need someone to ask them, someone who's curious about their personality, about where they come from. And it's interesting. Take an interest. I'm telling you, you'll learn stuff about people and just, it'll make your, it just, you're enjoy it. Get to know people and you'll have better clients. And if folks who are on the consumer side of this, if people that you're interviewing for your financial advisor aren't asking you questions, you know, I don't yeah, yeah. The always think about what does money mean to you and all that. I, I don't I never really bought into that. But, you know, just who are you? Where do you come from? You know, what? Tell me your story. I mean, it does not have to be script, but just you'll know if they're curious about you. That means they're curious about you as a human being which is much, much more important than just being curious about you by your wallet size. And you'll know that. And that's why I want to bring Liz on, because I hope we get people like Liz, men or women, into the business who are curious, but also have the chops to back up the questions and the confidence to say, you know, I don't know. Let me look into that. So hope you enjoyed. Again, Liz Hand can be found on YouTube. Uh, if you type in happiness, IRA, happiness, IRA, uh, you'll find her or Liz Hand, comma, CFP. Uh, apparently, there's another pretty well-known Liz Hand, I guess, an author or something like that. And I don't know who that is. But uh, our Liz Hand is a CFP. So you want to type in Liz Hand, comma, CFP, or Happiness IRA in YouTube, or PleasantWealth.com, uh, PleasantWealth.com. And uh, and Liz is a great lady, uh, married with, I think she said, two kids, but don't quote me on that. 
and, uh, and it sounds like our firm's just a bunch of righteous folks. So if you're in Ohio, that's where Liz is. Highly recommend you talk to her. Um, and she doesn't just focus on people in Ohio, but uh, generally that's her her stomping ground. So Ohio is certainly uh, preferable if you're in that area and you listen to the podcast. I tell you, you're not going to you will you will be no worse off by getting in touch with Liz and the, and the folks at uh, Pleasant Well. All right, folks, that's it for the Josh Gandler podcast this episode. Don't forget to go to heritagewealthplanning.com to see all the uh, the videos we post, the uh, blogs we post, and uh, of course the other podcasts. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I actually, because I got not, more than 100 subscribers now, I actually got my own URL, youtube.com slash Heritage Wealth Planning. Yay. So don't forget to go there as well. And we'll see you next time on the Josh Scanlon Podcast. Thanks, guys. Liz Haynes, Certified Financial Planner out of uh, Canton, Ohio. Is that correct, Liz? Yes, sir. Pro Football Hall of Fame City. Yes, all right, right on. Well, uh, Liz is, uh, how I came across Liz is just YouTube, because what I found is a lot of financial advisors um, don't have many YouTube videos, and I find that to be absolutely a deficiency in our business. And, and I came across Liz because uh, she has a, a wonderful YouTube channel, which I'll share with you in the show notes. And I said, you know, I just reached out to her. I said, man, I would just like to know more about her and what she's doing with the practice, how she's using YouTube. And then uh, as I was calling Liz, I had an epiphany of sorts that the reason uh, Liz and, uh, and very few others are on YouTube is because it is such a heavily regulated industry, yet the insurance people are all over YouTube. It's just, Liz, I never thought about that. Literally, until I had an epiphany. All of a sudden this morning, I said, that's it. That's why you and I have so much problems getting on YouTube, but all these other guys yeah. are selling Index Universal Life and all that. So, Liz... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, just any, go back as far as you want. It doesn't have to be all financial related, but, you know, just tell us who Liz Hand is. Um, I'd love to hear it. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I've been in the industry for about eight years. I'm a millennial. I'm 30 years uh, just trying to reimagine what it means to interact with people in this digital age. So um, I started, I, I have a degree, an undergrad degree, in financial planning and a master's degree in financial planning. And then I went on to get the certified financial planner designation. Um, and ultimately, I joined my family's business. So Pleasant Wealth that I work for is owned and operated by my father, Ellis Miller. Um, but as I looked at being a 20-something, stepping into an industry where our focus are is people as they are nearing retirement and helping them make the decisions for retirement, like Social Security, like Medicare, um, pensions, retirement income, all of that. Um, it's difficult for a 20-year-old to convince a 50- or 60-year-old that uh, I am trustworthy enough with their money. So I, it, it's going to take a longer time for someone to really get to know all of my background and the way I talk about people before they're comfortable. So um, starting a YouTube channel felt like the easiest way for me to um, really express the, the depth that you get from a certified financial planner designation and how you look at money a lot differently than the average financial advisor. So um, you know, you're a CFP too, correct? Yes. Yes. So yes. Um, you have your standard financial advisor, and they might be sitting in the insurance silo, or they might be sitting in the investment silo, but they might not understand the estate or tax implications of financial moves that they make. So I wanted to use YouTube to show kind of the depth of information that we can provide in yeah. a fun format so that someone, when they meet me, 
they can go and look through my content and get to know me personally before they ultimately trust me with their money. That's uh, uh, man, I could not agree with that more. What's uh, what was the impetus? Were you just sitting there one day and you said, you know, you had your own epiphany about starting a YouTube channel? What what caused? Because what you've been on there for what, ten months, I think, or something like that, or what's the uh, yeah? What the um, so I'm in the middle of child rearing, and I was on maternity leave for three months, and so I had a lot of time to think about what my marketing would be, and I had come up with the idea that I wanted to start some sort of weekly touch point content generation, and I knew I didn't want to do a, a traditional blog um, just because of time constraints. So I was talking about maybe starting a podcast and my brother, who's also in in my business as well, um, he said, why don't, why don't you just do video? Video is much more compelling. So I started doing some research, and here we are 10 months later, um, still trying to go strong. So. Well, it's funny because uh, you obviously, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but are you a natural performer? And I don't know how to phrase that maybe correctly, but you're good at it. I mean, it, it, not trying to stretch you here, but... You see some of these people on YouTube and just you want to drop a handle on your head, but you have actually pizzazz. Uh, it's just you seem to have a natural way to deal with a camera. And I, did, did you have some training? Did you have some, I don't know, I mean, it's not easy to get in front of a camera and just say, here I am, world, and, and yet you have a good way of uh, doing that. And at the same time, presenting, you know, rather complex info in an understandable way. What's your experience in training, acting, anything like that where you're so good at? Well, thank you for the compliment. Um, I mean, in high school, I would have done a little bit of acting, but okay. the the biggest thing for me is that I just pretend like the camera is a person and I'm just yeah. having a conversation, yeah. and that changes it completely. So I feel like it's a client sitting across the table or a friend sitting across the table, and I'm by myself when I shoot, so I don't have to worry about somebody else overhearing me or anything, and I don't know, it just makes me relaxed and able to treat it like a person. How do you do your, um, so you got how much energy time do you do in terms of coming up with your content, in terms of uh, not just creating it, but uh, putting it out there? What, what kind of time and effort do you have? So you got a video, you know, say a 10-minute video. It mm-hmm. doesn't take just 10 minutes. I mean, it takes other time. How much time and effort do you put into actually getting out there where you can produce? And I guess for you, too, this is one of the things that you and I have emailed about. Um, you're, you know, you have to do a compliance department because you're a broker dealer registered. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to get into that so much here, but when you have a, another level of uh, compliance, uh, which Liz is under, it, it makes everything that much more <laughs> difficult. So what yeah. time frames in terms of getting a video out there? Um, I would say I easily have three hours into a five-minute video between <laughs> shooting, editing, promoting, getting it through my compliance department, and just making sure that it looks nice and everything. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's intensive, but it, I think long-term it's going to pay off. So, oh, yeah. Um, strong. The interesting thing on YouTube, what you see is that, like you mentioned, there's either insurance folks who are not regulated or it's people who are just intrigued by the financial realm, and so they're not licensed, and right. so they might not have the most accurate information. So those are the two things that you predominantly see there. And I figure... Maybe it's my millennial mindset, but uh, I just look at my compliance department as just another hoop I can jump through, and I look at all the negatives that they see, and I see what other, like talking about Social Security, 
I can breeze through compliance that way because it's not a registered product of any of Ah, interesting. Yeah. So if you yeah. talk about a concept as opposed to a product, that's where compliance is a little bit more lean. I hate to say leaning, like, oh, do whatever you want, but that's where you can get a little bit more headway in terms of getting your content out there. Mm -hmm. The moment I say mutual fund or stock or something, then I have to add in right. some disclosures, and they'll look at it a lot closer. But Social Security, and Social Security is a beast anyway. People don't understand it. There's a lot of false information going on with it. Um, and so people want to know how it works, and they have that information, and I can talk about it without getting too heavily regulated. So I feel like it's a win-win. No, that's uh, well. Um, that's a great segue into you have a you have a video about to helping a widow um, mm -hmm. make a heck of a lot more on her. I presume a widow is synonymous, I guess, with a woman. Um, mm -hmm. but, so how how does it go through the steps on how that works? I ask, man, I could not agree more uh, that Social Security. It, it seems like they're starting to get more and more you know knowledgeable people uh, coming to the realm now. But still, at the end of the day. A lot of crap info out there. So tell me how you uh, worked with her and uh, and what you do for her. I think it's wonderful, right? Or wonderful what you've done for her. Sure. sure. Um, so my niche that I'm trying to focus in on is working with widows because huh? um, I think a lot of times women are not necessarily part of the, the conversation of the family yeah. finances, like the big picture ones. So oftentimes they are thrust into a situation that they weren't expecting to be in and really overwhelmed by it. Um, Social Security is a, there is a loophole, I guess you could say, that is still available where for widows specifically, um, they have the opportunity to either, they, they can strategize if they're taking their widow benefit or their own benefit. And whichever one they decide on, the other one is allowed to grow, even though they're already collecting on one. So they're kind of like, it's, it's the last re remaining realm where you can do some pretty extensive strategy and really add a huge benefit long term. So I had a woman who came into my office and her husband died suddenly in December, I believe. And um, the first thing she does is walk into Social Security because she's older than 60. And so they, people had told her, there's a benefit waiting for you. So she goes into the Social Security office and um, what I often hear is that when you step in there, all they can do really is show you what your two options are today, and it's not really projecting out for the future. So um, today it looks like, oh, for her situation, what was it? Her, yes, okay, so they had told her that she should take her husband's, her late husband's benefit right away because it was a higher benefit for her today. But what I found was that if she would take her own benefit first and wait just a little bit longer till age 62, her, under her husband's record, um, he, was a, he was a higher earner in the family. And so she could delay taking from his until her full retirement age. She was actually going to get $400,000 more out of Social Security wow. just by making that one switch. Um, people really appreciate seeing that. It's not something I necessarily get paid on. Um, right. It's just really good information and if Social Security is the last, basically the last remaining pension for people, we need to yes. make sure that people are getting the most out of it. And does that make you feel good too? At the end of the day, I mean, <laughs> you help oh, yeah. this lady in a time of crisis and I guarantee, 
I don't guarantee anything. I imagine very few other people would have the knowledge to uh to have been able to bring that extra four hundred thousand we're talking four hundred thousand Right. That's not uh Trump change and uh man. How did she get in your office to begin with, if you don't mind me asking how did she find um, it? So I I um there was an advisor who sold his practice to us and so I had been working with all of his clients and her late husband had been a client of this advisor, but her late husband had actually never met with me. Um, he okay. just didn't return phone calls and whatnot, so he was, I guess, content as he could be just hanging out. So um, when I met her, it, was, it, it felt like a cold call, except that I already had some of her accounts that I was managing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how she got in the door. She had five different advisors that she had to talk to, so, I, uh, going the extra mile with Social Security, I actually went to the Social Security office with her eventually uh, to, to make sure we understood it. And going that extra mile, helping with this first decision, first big decision, um, I think ultimately gained her trust long term. So you went down. Can you still hear me okay by chance? I, mean, I just want to make sure my connection is still okay. Yes, it is. Okay. So you actually, Liz, went down to the Social Security Administration with this lady and kind of helped her figure stuff out with those folks in front of you. Yes. Oh. Um, hey. Yeah, I, it, for me it felt like a field trip because <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for somebody to have not made the Social Security decision and me to ask if I could go to the Social Security office with them because being 30, I mean, I hadn't even received right? one of my statements in the mail much less have I ever had to go to the office and do anything with it. So um, it was just as much of a benefit for my learning long term yeah, as it was for her in person. What, um, well, tell us about that experience. I, I mean, I, I think it's uh, going to the Social Security Administration, you know, I'm 47, so I'm not a millennial, but same thing. I don't get my Social Security statement in the mail either, and I'm familiar right. with the system because I studied it, but in terms of the actual going down there, I've never done that. So tell me how that, you know, just, that's the bolt. You just show up and say, hey, I need to make an appointment or have that go. And you're with this woman, too. I mean, just the yeah. logistics plan of actually getting there. I'm curious about how that works. Well, don't just show up. Otherwise, you'll be waiting in line for a really, really long time. Really? Um, so okay. I had her call ahead. I gave her a couple of dates, you know, a month yeah. out that we could both go in. Um, she wasn't in any urgent financial need to get the Social Security. Okay. So we had a little bit of time to work with. Um, but she's such a set an appointment for the very first appointment of the day, and it actually was a lot easier than I imagined it would be. Um, and the person that was helping us was super helpful. Um, I was able to ask him of the more technical questions, and he kept pace with me, And but he also took the time to make sure she understood what was happening. So I really appreciated the interaction. And the guy, he wasn't, you know, feeling challenged or anything that you were there, like, oh, who's this lady, you know what I'm saying? He, he was actually helpful to you. Right. I was, you know, you never, you never quite know what's going to happen when you're yeah. teamed up against somebody who might see you as a threat, but no. Exactly. Was, That's 100% right. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, he was very helpful and, and appreciated, I don't know, our conversation, so. That's fantastic. So when you left there, in terms of, you know, Social Security Administration is a government entity, and mm -hmm. I... I imagine most people think it's like the DMV, for instance, or the post office, where just you know people just don't want to be there, blah blah blah. But when you left after dealing with these people, you felt, hey, this is 
know what I'm saying? It did feel like a DMV kind of, kind of thing. I mean, it felt like, hey, these guys are actually knowledgeable. They actually know what they're doing, and they'll help to the extent that they're allowed to, kind of. But that had a feel mm-hmm. pretty good impression overall, Liz, you think, or, or what do you think? Yeah. Um, Great. I'm sure it's not the case with every single employee, but yeah, right, the right. two that I have interacted with there have been fantastic. That's fantastic. I um, well, One another reason I wanted to talk to you, because I, I do think that, and I didn't know you did that, um, uh, but I do think the idea... You get a lot of times, I don't need a financial advisor. I don't need a financial advisor. And, and the problem is, is people like you and I who are doing that, you know, extra mile. And there's a lot of us out there. Uh, but mm-hmm. we're thrown in with a, the financial charles. And I hate to sound like that, but I, I, I just, I cannot stand some of the misinformation that's out there that's actually hurtful to people. But they're ignorant. And, but the client is ignorant about it. So going back to your mm-hmm. widow. What if she did not take that extra step and talk to you? I mean, where would she be because of that? It's just, it, oh, just, oh, man, it kills me. Especially widows. I mean, you like said, a sudden death. She's in a, in a hard, I used to work for USA and um, USA's military, and a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of widows, KIA husbands, just, at the most vulnerable, and it's, uh, I just, man, the idea that someone could take advantage of that, just, it's it furious. Right. So I just, I'm so glad that she was able to take that extra step. I, m- I imagine, though, at the beginning of your conversation with this lady, she's like, oh, you're just another one. You know, I've talked to all these other people. How did you get her to kind of open up? I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what was the sure. questions, the line of discussion? Um, that's always helpful. What did you do? So she'd say, huh, this is different. Um, so because she had several other advisors, she'd har- she had already been in several meetings. And as soon as we sat down, you know, a couple of pleasantries, and then I say that, you know, I'm sorry that this is the reason that we're meeting. Yeah. And she is almost instinctively reaches for all of her statements to start handing me. And so I just asked, how is she doing today? And then I actually asked about the death of her husband, which I don't think many people do. I'm So my degree in college, I had a financial management degree, my minor was in psychology, so I had several counseling courses. So I'm really comfortable with talking really candidly with people. Um, I'm not saying that I'm a counselor by any means, right. but uh, I'm, I'm willing to go into the places that a lot of financial advisors are not. I'm willing to go into the deep, heavy emotions of family. And I always say, you know, money is a tool, but money is like veins in a person's body. So it impacts all different areas, our health, our family, our goals for life, our career. And so um, I'm interacting with somebody on a very tangible thing, their investments, their money, but the conversation is so much bigger than that. I need to understand their values, who they care about the most, and um, I think simply just asking her about the death of her husband, what it felt like, yeah. Um, all of that, that ultimately bonded the two of us. Man, that's wonderful. So she was instinctively reaching to show you her investment just because mm-hmm. that's what all these other guys have done. And not guys right. related, I'm not saying guys gender specific, but... It was, there were both men and women. Yep. Well, that's, well I was going to go with that. Gonna, that's actually interesting you say because I think a lot of men get um, pushed into this thing that we don't listen well. And I... Actually, I find that to be somewhat offensive. I don't think that's true. But I generally, I mean, they're like, oh, you're a man, you don't listen well. Eh, I don't. Right. You should be offended by that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I agree with that. When I'm, actually, 
one of the things that perturbs me about the industry is this focus on we need more women and we need to basically reduce our standards because women don't like sales and they don't like math. I'm like, I mean, my sister is a CFP with a master's degree. She has taxes for these big firms. I'm like, it's just offensive on the space to say that women need to be, you know, basically, ah, this guy's at the wall. And then on, on top of that, to say men don't listen well, there's, there's both. There's both people on both sides. They're individuals. But anyway, at the end of the day, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, if someone just would have asked this lady how she's feeling like you did it. And I, I actually think my inclination about you is, is you're probably a curious person. You're, you're interested in people. And I imagine yeah. that uh, is felt by the person on the other side that this person actually is interested in me, not just my stupid investments. And um, right. I bet that goes a long way. Uh, how's your, mm-hmm. I'm just curious. Is that So you're working with your dad and your mom. And your brother, were they, did they raise you to be a, I've always wondered like, why some people like this and other people are not. So just, do you think that goes back as curiosity, just the way you're raised, or you just think it's the way you're born, or, or what? Do you have any thoughts on that? I know it's an odd question. Um, I mean, if, what I kind of go back to uh, when I was, not to delve into the history of Liz Hand, but you're going to get it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. When I was six years old, I had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And so I was bedridden for a year. And in that time frame, um, there was a lot of community support. So I come from a Mennonite and Amish background. Um, and so community to me is not necessarily uh, location driven. It's actually just different pockets of Mennonite communities, which are scattered all over the United States. So I remember I had this very visual memory of cards that people sent me from all over. People I didn't know their names. They may have known my parents. Um, But just in in the door frames of all over our house, just encouraging me as I was walking through this and encouraging my family. And I think, I don't know, the human connection is so powerful and nothing, uh, nothing else really matters as much as a human connection. And that is, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that stepping into this field was going to give me such exposure to that human connection. Yeah. But ultimately, that's what fascinates me so much with financial services. It's not the investments. It's not the taxes. It's just how money functions in a family and yeah. how our emotions shape the decisions that we make. So... No, that's there you uh, go. no, that's fantastic. I I could not agree with that more, and I just wish our industry would get out of the. That's what uh, just drives me crazy when everyone's just on the investment side, and we can't help anyone who doesn't have the investments. I it just it's, I find it horrific. Right. We can help so many people, and uh, and mm-hmm. people are willing to pay. I mean, we know they're willing to pay. How do we know that? Because they're paying for BMWs, they're paying for all this you know lawn services. <laughs> they're willing to pay. As long as yeah. they get a value out of that, and the value can be right there, like you said, the human connection. Interesting about the Mennonite community, I've lived in um, Dayton, Virginia for, for six years, actually. And, uh, oh, yeah. You're familiar with Dayton? All right. And, uh, My sister the, lives out there. What's that? <laughs> My sister lives out there. No kidding. In, in the yeah. Central Valley. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, it's just funny because on a Sunday, I'm Catholic, and we go to church and uh you have this army of Dayton, you know, the, the Mennonites and the horse and buggies, and, uh, you know, in front of you, it was just, it was, man, it, it was just such a, uh, I miss it, you know, I, I'm in North, I'm right north of Atlanta now, and, and Dayton's a very small community, it's right outside Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is another small community, but 
then you have to pass like you know fifty guys and ladies on horse and buggies getting to church, the midnight church state, midnight church, whatnot. And uh, we knew them all. Everybody knew everybody. It was just a small yeah. community. But talk about a community of just everyone. It's like old school where everybody helps them each other. Um, yeah. They actually had a horrific accident right when we left there. As a matter of fact, where uh, methane gas uh, exploded on these. So one kid went down into the um, the thing in the ground where the, I can't remember this whole story, and uh, he breathed all the methane, methane gas and he died. And his brother went after him. I can't remember the whole story, but it just oh, it just broke your heart. Uh, and, yeah, ah, such a horrible story. But anyway, going back to community thing, ah man, I just uh, that's that's great. That's a well, I don't know if it's a wonderful story you got to go through what you got to go through, but you're connecting with people on an emotional level. Is uh is something we can do in this business, and at the same time, get them an extra four hundred thousand bucks too. I mean, what a great <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what a great you thing. can have real impact. Yep. So let me ask you. So that's great and all, but you still got to get clients. So what are you doing to get people in the door? I mean, I know the YouTube thing is is an area I love it. By the way, I think it's great, but that's a long term right. thing. So right. what are you doing now? I mean, I, I see you all are doing some seminars on social security. It looks like that might be more for uh, CPAs and whatnot, but what are you doing to, to build a business? So our niche is the Mennonite and Amish community, and it's very word of mouth driven. Um, so it's a lot of networking and yeah. bringing clients that way, um, tapping into centers of influence like CPAs and attorneys where we can. But what's your um? Well, I'm I'm the only one in the office right now that does financial planning. So huh? some of my clients are coming from other advisors in my office that just want this little piece done for their clients. Gotcha. So are you um like when you have a financial planning uh, arrangement, are you managing money as well, or is that like your Bob's doing that and you're doing more of the financial planning? How does it work in terms of you know the, how the piece falls in place with your with your operational? You're not telling business secrets or anything. I'm just wondering. You, know, you say, hey, yeah. mom, this lady has 200000 bucks. You know, she wants to talk to you about that thing, or, or how does that work from a functionality standpoint? Um, no, I do both wealth management okay. and financial planning. Yeah. Now, you also, on your website, you said you're affiliated with, like, Vanguard American Funds and whatnot, and I was just interested. Does that mean, are you just saying you use those providers and your investments, or are you just, I mean, how does, I didn't get how yeah. that worked. I haven't seen that before. I thought it was pretty cool, actually. So how does – you're just saying, hey, we use these guys in our investment platforms? Yes. Yep. Okay. Do you hold it at those firms, or do you just hold it, like, at a, you know, a facility like Schwab or something like that? Like, if someone says, I need to invest, you know, 300000 bucks, do you have it at Schwab? Or do you use American Funds to Vanguard, or do you actually hold it directly at those mutual fund companies? Uh, it depends on what the dollar amount that they're bringing in. Right okay. now, we do not have a fund, uh, an investment minimum. So, and and we have, not to get too technical, but we're one foot in broker dealer side and one foot in RAA side. Yeah. Um, right. So, for those clients that are coming in starting from scratch or under fifty thousand dollars, then we're using direct mutual funds. Okay. Um, like at American Funds or something like that. Yep, yep. Just okay. keeping it simple to get them yep. up and running. And then, absolutely. Um, absolutely. once they once they've grown to the point where they have some more to them, then we use third party managers, and we have a couple portfolios that we manage ourselves. It just kind of depends where the client comes out as far as their risk tolerance and their 
speed concerns, yeah. you know, all of those little questions. I wish Vanguard had a thing. American Funds just rolled out a uh, where you can hold their direct through them as an RIA, which is freaking awesome. I, I wish Vanguard had really? a Really? Oh, oh, it it's fantastic. It's like they're F2 shares or something like that, and you're getting their institutional funds at 40 basis points. And this is technical for So if you're a consumer of financial planning, uh, just bear with us just a second. But I just found this out because I love American funds. I always have. I always will. I love Vanguard, too. Um, but I don't want to, for me personally, I'm not a big fan of actually taking custody of the assets because I, I just don't want to do that day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, but I like the idea of just saying American funds, you know, just put it there. They charge you 40 bits, and you can charge whatever fee you want, and, and they just take care of it. It's just awesome. And I wish That's Vanguard great. had the thing. Oh, this is because, you know, some of these firms, you got to have, like, $20 million in assets and all that. And if you're doing more financial planning, I, I hate to say it, it's not mutually exclusive. I mean, you can do financial planning and investment management to some degree, but if you're running, say, $50 million in investments, how are you doing that and doing full-fledged financial planning at the same time? Right. Yeah, you just don't have enough time today to do that. So, um, yeah. anyway, I love the American Funds thing. All right, so let me ask you a question. So now you've got, you've got some experience on your belt. I know you're millennial, and people are saying, oh, well, what the hell do you know, Liz? You're, you know, you don't know anything about Social Security. Um, you get over that hump by asking questions, obviously, which you're good at. I mean, just tell, you just tell them. You know people are good at asking questions. You just, you know, I've been around long enough to know that. What do you find? Things people have made before they come in your office. Anything jump out at you in particular? You know, for let's just say a uh, pre-retiree, you know, someone's 55 and something, and then we can go back down to even like a millennial themselves. Like, what do you see are some of the things that, uh, that you see happen a lot that are, I hate to say mistakes, but things that could be improved, maybe that's a better word. Um, I think just as human nature, we, we don't have a good grasp of our future selves. Um, we can't comprehend the fact that we will at some point retire. So even me, um, at age 20, the idea of retirement is too far off, and I'm having a hard time understanding it. So most people check out at that point, um, and that's where the mistakes happen. They'll either say, well, retirement's too far off anyway. I don't need to be saving right now. I'd rather just get my house established, get all these things that I want to purchase, whatever that is. Um, and then they're 40 or 50 and finally realizing how fast time moves yes, and right. what they need to make up for. And so one of the videos I made on my channel is um, how to trick yourself into further saving um, and really just encouraging people to start now, um, even if it's a small amount, even if it's 25 bucks a month, even if it's 100 yeah. bucks a month. And then tricking yourself into to more and more savings over time by by upping it on an automatic basis or scheduling it out in your calendar. Um, but that's often what I see is just people can't grasp becoming old until it's too late. Uh, <laughs> and they can't fix what they haven't prepared for to begin with a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Then they're like. But at the same uh, time, at the same time, I like the idea of somebody hearing hearing this and wondering, well, then I've made up, I haven't, I've uh, lost all those earnings. Just a second, I'm gonna start over. I'm getting a call. 
Okay. It's American Funds Wholesaler. They're listening to this. He's like, oh, American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. No, okay. So the other part that I see is that um, people also check out when they're in their 40s and 50s and they hear this conversation where they're like, oh, well, I already missed out on my 20s and 30s. Right. So I'm screwed anyway. So I'm still going to check out of the conversation and not worry about it, and I'm just going to plan to work forever. And that's going to be my mantra, and I'm going to tell everybody that I'm going to work till I die. And there is still time. There's still great ways to make up for lost time in your 40s and 50s if you haven't been saving in your 20s and 30s. It's going to take a little bit more, but, yeah, people will take any reason to kick the can down the road. Ah, man, that is no lie. How about people always say, oh, I see this on YouTube a lot when it comes to Social Security. I'm going to take that 62 because it's not going to be there, or I'm going to take that 62 because my life expectancy is only 78. And I just, these are all just bad pieces of all bad pieces of advice. I mean, how do you, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously people do what they got to do, but how do you encourage people? Like, look, you're 45 years old. Yes, you might not have done anything at this point, but, you know, we need to plan, and we need a plan of action to get you where you need in the future. Like you said, they've already thrown in the towel, but they're, I mean, they're only 45, and you're like, right. ah, you gotta, you've got to get picked up off the mat here and do something. How do you kick them in the rope, so to speak, to get them to do that? I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, I don't any, know. I, any, just, yeah. I just tell them to start with something small. Yeah. Whatever feels comfortable to them today, do it. So if that's 50 bucks a month, do it. And then the next time I see them, I'm saying, hey, let's increase that a little bit. What's the number one thing you found that successful people, successful is not, you know, a million bucks or anything, it's just that they've done right. In your experience, you know, just as a human being, not just as a professional financial planner, mm-hmm. you see some people just seem to have done it right. What would, if there's one thing that jumps out at you, anything in particular, you say that that's what used to be focused on or, or that's what I've seen work more often than not, if you jump out at you? Mm-hmm. I would say two things. One is they've built automatic savings into their lifestyle that they don't have mm. to think about. It's on autopilot in some manner. So joining your 401K, that's putting it on autopilot. It's something you don't have to think about on a month-to-month basis, how much money is going into your 401K. And then the other piece is for those people who are more Active, uh, maybe serial entrepreneurs, um, building different streams of income into their lifestyle so that they're not just oh, reliant man. upon yep. their working income and they have some sort of passive income stream, whether that's rental income or a hobby that they really enjoy doing. Those seem to be the two things that I see as successful. Now, you're also licensed to sell life insurance, too. Do you do much in terms of, like, term or permanent? Or what, uh, do you do any life insurance at all, or you just have licenses? Is that part of the overall uh, picture that you can bring to the table? Um, I do some term life insurance because okay. I'm meeting people my age, and they need to yes. yeah. something under their belt as they're building their families. Um, so, yeah. And we we work, you know, our goal is to work with people from age 55 to 70, helping them make all of those retirement decisions. So we're also getting into long-term care conversations. Ah, that's where I was going with that. Okay, good. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah. so you are able and licensed to actually sell a one. Selling a policy sounds almost dirty. 
but it's not. But you're able to do that for a client, and kind of like you did with Social Security that way, to walk them through all the ins and outs of long-term care stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Ideally, I am the concierge to retirement. That's, no, I think that's what I'm saying, right. That's, all right, so folks who are listening, two things with that is um, a lot of the RIAs, registered investment advisors, of which I am, um, they drop all their licenses, which I have done, for instance, where they can't sell insurance. Um, and a lot of people think that's a good thing. And, and unfortunately, I don't necessarily because that means you're going to be referred to someone out who may or may not know what to do, or you might just be referred to a website. Um, mm-hmm. you, when it comes to long-term care, you just got to find someone um, who knows what the heck is going on. And, yeah, long-term care is not cheap. I get that. But, folks, you got to find someone who's, who can be that concierge, like Liz is saying, um, who can at least talk to you about it. And, you know, if she makes a commission, so what? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you need, if you need the policy, you're going to pay for it one way or the other, but don't you want to pay for it by someone who's going to walk you through and guide you in there? That, Liz, that's the one thing about as I left the uh, – broker dealer world and um, have to refer my insurance stuff out. I, I just I find that to be a deficiency in the RIA world because there's a lot of people who need insurance discussions and I can have those discussions, but you know at the end of the day I can't implement. And uh, there's right. a lot of bad bad uh, insurance advice out there. Actually, horrific insurance advice out there, and it's uh, it's just not good. And, and yet there is a need for it too. And not to go on my little diatribe here, but you have a need for it. A lot of people are ignorant about it, the clients, and so they look at the people who are, you know, focused solely on insurance, which are a lot of the uh, people are doing not not the best interest of the client. So I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that you can do that. Now, you're only in a license in Ohio, is that correct, or, or did I see that? I... Um, for insurance, I think I'm only licensed in Ohio. I might be okay. licensed in Florida. I have to look at that, but... Um, we we work as a team, so if there's a client that we have that's outside of our, if I'm working with a client that's in Pennsylvania, for example, then um, there's an advisor in our office that is licensed in Pennsylvania. So uh, we can still keep it in house, but you know I'm not the technical underwriter of the policy. So, um, um, but the the piece of it that I think is most helpful, like just from a human perspective. Yeah we can really get excited about making plans and we can really get unenthused about implementing them. And so having the, the planning side of things is all well and good, but at the end of the day, if the client does not go to purchase that life insurance or just yeah. go to get that long-term care insurance, then the plans were not worth it. So that's, I see that as only a value add. And as long as you're having a candid conversation and letting them know, hey, uh, I have a conflict of interest in telling you about this. Just just so you know, if you decide to, to purchase this, there's a commission that comes to me. But I'm telling you that up front. It's, I'm not trying to hide behind it by any means. Right. Um, but ultimately, it just helps them get to where they need to go because I can walk them through that process. Oh, yeah. No, I completely 100% agree with that. I mean, just disclose it and everything's on the up and up. Well, it's okay. kind of like going back to planning. I'm... I'm one, I love looking at 1040s. I'm probably, my mom is an accountant. I love it. You know, looking at tax returns. It's just, it's, it's, you know, you got to be a geek to look at that. But I love it because there's so much people that just, they don't have any clue what they're paying. It, it drives up the wall. And I can use all these great strategies on raw conversions, converting ordinary income to qualify dividends and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if a client doesn't actually do something, all my of the world don't mean a thing, and that's uh, that is the one frustrating thing about financial planning is 
like being estate planning. You know you got to do it, but it is painful for a lot of people. So people like you who yeah. can make it at least more energetic and at least be like, hey, she's working out for me and I trust her. And this is the way the industry, I hope, goes in the future. Um, have you done a, a YouTube video on long-term care by chance, Liz? No, I haven't. Oh, man. If you get a chance to do one, I, I, I just think that is so overlooked. And, I, and the reason I think is because everyone thinks that businesses, myself included, that all these companies, they didn't underwrite it sufficiently for the cost, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to blow up in everybody's face. And, and I, I just I don't think that's true. There's always no problems. But if, there, if there's a need for it, um, you need it, and you need to get it before you have a need for it because it will be priced out of the market. And, uh, and I have four kids, and uh, I have long-term care. I'm 47. My wife's 40, just turned 44. And we have it because if either of us had an issue where we needed to go to a facility, you know, the, the, the surviving spouse in that regard would be destitute because mm-hmm. we're not dead so the life insurance won't kick in. And, and you get it while you're young and cheap. And I'm just, I tell everybody, life insurance, long-term care, get it while you're young because it's, it's just hmm. cheaper. Um, yeah. All right, let me let you get back. So a couple of things real quick. Just how do people oh, – I did want to ask you, how did you come up with the name uh, Happiness IRA on your YouTube channel? I thought that was pretty cool. What the, <laughs> was the uh, prompt for that? Um, happiness IRA, I was talking to a business coach, and he said something to the effect of you are helping people build their happiness IRA, not just their traditional IRA. Um, and the idea there being um, retirement has so much to do with someone's happiness. And so if, if you don't have value outside of your work, if you don't have hobbies or friends or whatever, retirement isn't going to be that fun. So there's, there's in one hand, you're holding the tangible nature of investments and building that, but in the other hand, you have to build significance in life. And so that's the idea of the happiness IRA, building significance in addition to your wealth. <clears throat> and that was the, uh, that's where you said, ha, click. That sounds like a pretty good uh, YouTube uh, description for what you're doing there. <laughs> like yeah. It. Thanks. So um, to find <laughs> you on YouTube, uh, they just click on, ha- they type in Happiness IRA or Liz Hand uh, CFP. I, I looked up Liz Hand. There's a lady who sings, I think, or something like that. She seems, um, uh, yeah, there's I, an I don't author, know who she is. Elizabeth Hand. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, gotcha. My channel, I just changed it so it is Liz Hand CFP. Okay. Um, but if you look up Happiness IRA, it should show up as well. I have tagged it enough that it should right, rise so to the top. Ha- Happiness IRA or Liz Hand, uh, comma, TFT, folks, uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube. Uh, subscribe. Yep. Um, if you go to Liz's web, uh, YouTube channel, which you, um, you absolutely should, and, again, I'll put a link to it here, but uh, subscribe. And, and then, you know, uh, the only drawback with Liz is what if the, I connected with her. I said, open up your comments. And she made it clear mm-hmm. that, hey, comments are uh, an issue with, uh, with broker-dealers. Yes. And I had forgotten about that because they can get on you for a Facebook like. I couldn't believe that. I got ringed one time because I said something about something, like a Roth IRA. Hey, that's a good plan. And you can't. I said, I didn't say it. I just said I liked it. I said, they said, you've got to be careful in saying that. This is fine <laughs> advice. Like, you got to be kidding me. But anyway, so go to Liz's YouTube channel. I'll put a link to it. How else can people find you, Liz? Um, well, I have, I, we are on Facebook, Pleasant Wealth is our company name, we're there. Um, YouTube is the main place, and then I have my contact information in my show notes for every video. Perfect. Um, 
And just if you do do a podcast, how I started this one is just went to anchor.fm, as in Foxtrot uh, Mom, or Mike, Foxtrot Mom, Mike, excuse me. Anchor.fm, mm-hmm. it's free. It's the easiest thing in the world, and you just talk into your computer, and, like, within a day, you're on an Apple iTunes. You don't have to do anything else. It's crazy. Wow. So if you, yeah, I'm telling you, do it. And it's easier than YouTube because you don't have to get all... The problem with YouTube is when you're showing your face, you know, for me, I have to shave and comb my hair and all that, and it's, you know, I don't... Yeah. Just rolling out of the sack. Up, i got to get my makeup on, and... Is that right? Right. So with the podcast, you just start yapping. <laughs> so if you ever can get approval on that, just go to anchor.fm. Now, you can go to the iTunes browser. I don't know. I just, that was somewhat cumbersome. Um, and lastly, if uh, I was going to say, oh, and you, and you can talk to people on the phone, whoever they live. It doesn't just have to live in Ohio, right? I mean, right. someone can call you from Seattle, Washington, or Virginia, for instance, and say, hey, uh, Liz, I want to uh, you know, chat with you about my finances. Is that correct? Or am yeah. I being Yeah, they can start the conversation, and if I'm not able to help them, I connect them with somebody that can. Um, uh, my website, I didn't mention my website, but oh. um, pleasantwealth.com. Um, that's an easy way to set up a quick phone call. Perfect. Pleasantwealth.com. And, again, I'll put the link in my show notes. And uh, any last thoughts, Liz? I'll let you get back on your busy day, you know, raising kids, being a mom, being a, uh, a wife, and then, of course, being a professional financial planner. It's, uh, it's always something going on. Any, any last comments you'd like to share with the, the folks who listen? Um. My biggest uh, thing, well, let me say, let me start over. Um, That's like being put on the spot, right? What's your favorite I movie? That's, <laughs> you're like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just my thoughts are that uh, we are humans, and as humans, we have shortcomings. And so the biggest thing that we do is get in the way of ourselves and in the way of progress. So the nice thing about stepping in with a financial planner is that they're helping you progress, but they're also going to set you up in an automatic way that you can get to where you need to go. And automated automated savings, in my mind, is the easiest way to success in retirement. Good, Good stuff. Good stuff. Words of wisdom for sure. Liz, I wish you the best in your career, and I, this has been fantastic. I, I, like I said in my comments on YouTube, I think if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to be very well known here in a matter of uh, a matter of months. Just keep plugging away, would you please? Because I think it's okay. important for you to share. I just think it's important, literally, for, for the consumer uh, community as a whole. And I'm not saying I'll just I'll promise I'll shut up and let you go. Um, not only that, but I also think it's important for other financial advisors to see it's not just about the stupid investments. There's so much more right. to being a financial advisor than just, oh, you got $100 million and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? At the end of the day, if they're not happy, if they're just, they just need some help. And, uh, and, and the financial advisory is, is perfectly suited for that. And um, anyway. Right. All right. Well, I'll let yeah. you go. And, and Liz, what I'm going to do is, like I said, I'll just uh, kind of put this together. I, I got to run and get my fingerprints taken so I can get my own RIA license once and for all. So I won't have this done until probably this evening, but I'll send you a link. Oh, that's and, right. uh, and, and you can leader. see it. Hey, well, I appreciate thanks it. Hey, thanks, Sam. You got it. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye.